Well, let's take some time and get into God's Word together. If you've got your handout with you, I always put a insert in there. And we've been talking about flourishing. We've been talking about sustaining a thriving relationship with God. Somebody asked me not too long ago, why, why do you get into Thessalonians so much? Why are you so excited? Well, it is such a wonderful, amazing book. But I think the reason I love it so much is because Thessalonica, the church there, reminds me of you guys. I mean, when Paul describes it and he talks about his affection for them, it, it just makes me think of you. And so I think that's why I get into it. It's a church planter kind of kind of thing. But I hope that you get into it as well, because the things that he is describing in the congregation there are what we should all be concerned with and consumed with and directed toward, what kinds of things. And today we're going to cover two. It was kind of a two-part series. I always try to cover too much material, so I cut last week's kind of message in half to talk about sustaining our uh, sustaining our thriving, sustaining our flourishing. We'll fill in some blanks together if we can as we go through this um, together. But um, yeah, we've been through a lot of change, haven't we? There's been a lot of differences. Somebody was sitting down with me, a friend yesterday, and they were rehearsing how things are different from February 2020. February 2020. They kind of went through a list kind of said, you know, in February of 2020, it seemed like we had a robust economy. Things were roaring along pretty well. It seemed like Middle East peace was breaking out. New, new uh, peace agreements and treaties were being signed. It seemed like the southern border was fairly well contained, that there was a focus on legal Im immigration. It seemed like the um, energy independence was doing us well. Prices were, were down. And it seemed like the uh, media was reminding us pretty regularly of how our executive leadership was inept and not good. Does that kind of describe February of 2020? And about the church, he said, it seemed like the church was kind of, not our church, but the church, big C, was kind of asleep, was kind of unaware was kind of oblivious in a lot of ways. And I said, you know, I can appreciate that. He said, well, what's going on now? If you just kind of took those categorically, you know, he said, inflation has really affected our economy. We might have a $30 trillion debt here soon. And that's having an effect on people's ability to spend. Peace is no longer in the Middle East. There's now some uh, unstable Recent deaths, just horrible stuff going on. Southern border, do I need to mention that? Energy dependence. <laughs> Someone said that, you know what he said was, uh, cops are down and murder is up. Uh, we're, we're scheduled now for King County to have the highest rate of murder we've ever seen. And it's because, you know, we're down 300, 400 um, police officers in King County. And the church, the church is getting more aware, more awake, more energized, more concerned. In fact, uh, somebody has said that the biggest fear, the only thing we fear is the unknown. There's a lot of unknowns 
a lot of things that we can. And so this part of this passage really speaks to what do you do when things are changing around you? What do you do when you're not always sure of your footing and where you stand? The early believers in Thessalonica were being persecuted for their faith. They were being um, sought out and, in Jason's case, flogged and left for dead. They had a Jason who had housed uh, the Apostle Paul. They drug him out in the street because they couldn't find Paul and beat him within an inch of his life. And he lived, but barely. And that was the example for the rest of the believers. How would you like to be a believer with that kind of challenge going on? Well, Paul is concerned for them. He's wondering how they're doing. He sends Timothy to go check on him. And when he comes back, he gets this glowing report about how they're standing firm in the midst of change, in the midst of uh, persecution. They are solid as can be. And Paul's heart just soars He's just so excited about what God is doing in their life. That the, the unknown was bugging him. The unknown made him fearful. The unknown was irritating to his spirit and his heart. But once he heard, once he knew, he was encouraging. And so that's what this book and this portion of this book is about. He is responding to Timothy um, coming and telling them, telling him how they are doing. So the first blank I want you to fill in is just about standing firm. Standing firm. You change, you, you, you stand firm in the unchanging Lord. <laughs> Things are changing around us, but God is the same. Yesterday, today, and forever. You can count on him. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He is someone you can count on. From uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 7, 7 through 9. I'll read that first part of this to start off with. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. For now, we really live. Since you are standing firm in the Lord, how can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? See, he is so amazed and incredibly encouraged by the fact that they are standing firm. There was every opportunity, every likelihood in the book that they would have veered from their faith in Christ. But instead, they stayed firm, standing firm. In fact, uh, second thought there is standing firm in their faith. Standing firm in their faith. That's what he says. He says, because of your faith. It's hard to stand firm sometimes. You might be called on that, called on for that for yourself. Earlier in Thessalonians chapter 2, for you brothers and sisters became imitators of God's churches in Judea, which are in Christ Jesus. You suffered from your own people the same things those churches suffered from the Jews who killed the Lord Jesus 
and the prophets and also drove us out. See, the whole context here is this persecution that they're going through, this troubling that is happening to them and what role God's going to call them into and to play. Remember 2 Timothy 3.12, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. That's not a message we like to hear. It's not a message we lead with often, but it's something we all need to remember. If you're going to be standing up, you're going to be standing firm for Jesus Christ, there's going to be an assault on you. There will be an attack on you. You will be persecuted if you want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus. Paul says, I'm here to strengthen and encourage you in your faith. You know, faith is the bottom line. So that no one would be unsettled by these trials. Satan wants to stir things up. He wants to make us unsettled. He wants to make us fearful, doubting, and lacking in our faith. Instead, he wants these trials not to unsettle, but to draw people near to him. This last uh, week, I became more and more aware of who are trying to stand firm in the midst of mandates and things like that. Um, I had seven requests or inquiries, I guess would be a better way to put it, from individuals who were asking, could I help them with a conscientious objection? We're talking about state workers, one of them's a nurse, 18 years as a nurse, um, different places. Um, And there's a variety of reasons why they've got, but they all are wanting to do a religious exemption. Some of them, it's based on uh, information about using use of aborted fetal tissue um, and the, the role that that plays in all vaccinations or all vaccination studies. Some of it was more around the idea of putting unknown foreign entities in your body. Your body's a temple of the Holy Spirit, and you should take care of it. You should know what's going into it. And if you've got a experimental thing, some of them, for them, that's a, a cause for um, objection. And in a lot of cases, it's just going against their conscience. You know how the Romans chapter 14 talks about eating meat sacrificed to idols and various things that were against someone's conscience. And he said, don't, don't go against your conscience. If there's something you're feeling prompted to, um, then let your conscience be your guide. It's kind of like when Daniel in the Old Testament didn't want to eat the king's food. And we'd all say, what does difference does that make? Just eat the food. Why, why bring persecution on yourself? Well, Daniel had a religious conscientious objection to what the king was asking him to do. Now, he made a creative alternative. He got the first, at least the first biblically recorded accommodation, religious accommodation. They said, oh, hey, why don't you go ahead and do your um, do your diet, and we'll see after a period of time who's strongest, you or the ones who eat the king's food. And guess what? Daniel and his friends surpassed those that ate the king's food. With the uh, so, even a diet can have that conscientious objection. But there are a lot of people, thousands and thousands of Christians, who are applying for a conscientious objection to the mandate 
they're not anti-vax, but they're anti-mandate, you know, definitely. And um, they are seeing this, at least in a lot of cases, as unclean. So um, I've had, had the chance to coach a few people on some terminology and some wording on that because it is a it has to be a closely held religious belief. Now, catch this. We've got employers, including the state, examining and asking questions about our personal faith. Who'd have thought 18 months ago we'd have people, you know, because it's always keep religion out of the workplace. Now we've got the workplace saying, tell us about your religious held convictions. <laughs> I'm like, is this an answer to prayer or what? Come on, church, get out of the closet. They're asking us for what's your faith? What do you believe? Why do you believe it? I believe I'm a child of God and I'm in the body of Christ and my body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. What? Now, some, some, some uh, employers are going to go, you sure haven't been acting like a Christian. <laughs> and it might cause us as the body of Christ to be far more um, transparent about our faith and far more accountable for our faith. You think? I mean, who would have guessed that they'd be asking every person that's conscientiously objecting for the definition of their quote-unquote religion? <laughs> now, God's given us opportunity. In fact, I want to read 1 Peter chapter 3. And uh, just encouraged by this. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? By the way, every person that's filling that out knows that it may likely be rejected and they are looking for employment elsewhere. I mean, with tears in their eyes in some cases. Um, besides the religious objections, there's people that are working on fertility or infertility, and they believe this is going to affect that, and they're just bawling. I'm 28 years as a nurse, and I've got to change my profession on October 18th because I don't want to get this while I'm going through uh, in vitro fertilization. No. Now, that's not the religious objection, but that is an objection on health or... or um, who's going to harm you if you're eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, underline that, you are blessed. Are you catching that? Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. You know, that's the biggest thing we're f facing these days is fear, fear of the unknown. We don't know what's going to happen, and so we are fearful. And that's always what the unknown does. And that's why we've got to drill in to this standing firm in our faith, standing firm in the Lord. What can you count on? What can you know about? You can know God. You can trust him. He's the one who will never leave you nor forsake you. He's the one you can put all your trust in. Not society, not culture. Now, what's going to be here a thousand years from now? Certainly not the United States of America. Certainly not Amazon. Certainly not Apple. None of those things are going to be here. In it. But what's going to be here? The church of Jesus Christ and the body of Christ. The Lord we serve. Amen. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He says, do not be frightened, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. One says, sanctify Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you. I keep thinking about that employer 
that employers that it's ask, HR departments that are asking the question, they're, they're saying, give me a reason for the hope that you have. What is your closely held religious belief? I'm telling people, the ones that are co they're asking me for any coaching, I'm telling them, you get ready. When they ask you your faith, you tell them unashamedly, this is my faith. This is what I believe. This is where I stand firm. Give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with, how's it, what it say? Gentleness and respect. Don't be some jerk about it. Don't be a hothead about it. Don't be vehement and, and, and harmful about it. Do it with gentleness and respect, but not lack of boldness. Oh, no, 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 no. We're talking about being bold and gentle at the same time. That's a stallion for you that's under control. That's the word for meek. He says, with gentleness and with respect, keeping a clear conscience. Isn't it interesting? We're talking about conscientious objection, <laughs> and it's with a clear conscience. Keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against you and your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame, be ashamed of their slander. For it's better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing, doing evil. So I think there's a, an opportunity for us, and, and that's just one illustration of the broad opportunity that is ours like never before. The lines are getting drawn. The lines are narrowing. There's clear-cut lines than ever before. And you are going to be called on not to be in some gray area, but to either stand up for Christ or get off the ship. Stand up for the Lord or go in a different boat. Declare your love for him, your allegiance to him, and follow through. Like it says here, be ready always to give an answer for the hope that lies within you. We are going to be, have the opportunity like never before to share our love of Christ with others in our culture and others around us. Are you ready, church? Are you ready? What, what happened to them is they stood firm in the midst of a culture that was against them in every way. They stood firm, and he's calling on us to stand firm in our faith. Don't let, don't let anything detour us from that. Let me read uh, this down a ways in your outline, I think. But Ephesians chapter 6, verse 13. Put on the full armor of God, so when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. Now listen to this. And after you've done everything, I love this. After you've done everything to stand, then stand. You know, don't just prepare to stand. Stand up. Be serious about it. Stand up with the belt of truth buckled around your waist with the breastplate of righteousness. See, the spiritual battle is underway. Put on the whole armor of God, and when you're called on, stand, and when you're called on, give an answer for the hope that lies within you. When you think about all our heroes, think about Moses, you know? He was called on to take a stand, and guess what he did? He took a stand. Yeah. Think about for a moment, Joshua, what, what, what Moses kept saying to him, be strong and courageous, stand your ground, be strong. In, in, in two, in two uh, verses, he says, be strong and courageous three times. Why? It takes courage. 
It takes strength to stand firm. Joshua stood firm and was courageous. I mean, just start going through Esther for such a time as this. Could it be that God's calling us to this time in this date for his purposes? Yeah. It's not a mistake that you're here today. It's not a mistake that you're alive today. The Bible says in Acts chapter 16 that you were appointed for this time. That the times you're living, I mean, sometimes I, I think about my poor kids or grandkids. and I go, what's the world going to be like? And then I think, no, God called them to that generation, to the, 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 the seriousness of what's coming. My job is to prepare them. My job is to get them ready so that they can uh, execute their faith and stand firm in their faith when everything is even more challenging than it is today. Well, let's talk about firmness in power and truth. It should be like your third blank in there. I know I'm not going very fast today. Sorry about that. Power and truth. And I want to read uh, Matthew 22. Jesus replied, you are in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. When the crowds heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. I want to think about those two things, the scriptures, the truth, and the power of God. You've got to have those two things to stand firm. Do you know where you stand when it comes to the scriptures? Do you know where you're at when it comes to his truth, his gospel, what does that mean? And his growth for you. How do you excel and accelerate as a believer? The gospel and, and growth. Know the scriptures. It's the word of God. It is the truth. But also the power. The power of God. Truth without power is, someone said, uh, it's like a, going through a cemetery and reading the tombstone, the headstone. There's truth and accuracy there, but there's no life. Right? You know, what do we want? We want truth and accuracy, but we want life, power, the power of God to, to come to bear on the situation that we're in. You know, sometimes it's harder to know what to do than to have the power to do it. Maybe I should talk to uh, husbands for a moment. You know, when you know truthfully that you need to say you're sorry to your wife, but do you have the power to do it? <laughs> do you have the guts to humble yourself and apologize? See, that's the, that's the difference. We need to have the two together, the truth and the power that help us stand firm. Arm yourselves with these two things, power by God and truth. You fail under pressure because your strength is too small. Now I want to bring up Luke 12 too, just as we kind of are talking about What's going to happen in the future? I tell you, whoever publicly acknowledges me before others, the Son of Man will acknowledge before the angels of heaven, the angels of God. But whoever disowns me before others will be disowned before the angels of God. And whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Catch this. When you are brought before the synagogues, the rulers and the authorities, do not worry about how you will defend yourself or what you will say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you could say, what you should say. 
See, he wants the fear to be gone, that you are not only trusting God for where you stand, you're trusting God for what you say and how you say it. You need to go into situations like he's describing here, which I think we're all going to be confronted with in the next few years. Go into those situations with a clarity that says, I don't have to have it all worked out and all written out. Here's what I'm going to say. I'm going to know my, the truth, but I'm also going to trust the Lord to speak through that. That's when he says, the, the hope that lies within you, God loves when we declare his love and his hope and, and let others know that. And he loves to give us the Holy Spirit's wording to teach us at the time what we should say and how we should say it. Last one on this. So we got firm in power and truth. And the last one is just a three-letter uh, word, joy. Celebrating in joy. Standing firm in faith, having power and truth, and celebrating in joy. Do you sense Paul's celebratory mode here? He says, for now I really live. He says, it was like I was dead. It was so hard to go day to day. But now I've heard this good news, how you're doing, how you're thriving, how you are flourishing in your heart, in your spirit, in your Christian walk. And now I feel like I've got life again. I am celebrating with joy the aspect of your life. How can I thank God enough for you in return for all the what? Joy we have in the presence of God because of you. See, it's almost like Paul's saying two things close, closely related. It's hard to translate this because he's saying we're rejoicing with joy. <laughs> it's kind of like a doubling of that. He said, we're exceedingly joyful. We are as joyful as we can be. <laughs> what makes you joyful? What do you get that kind of charge out of? You know, it's a vacation. Is it a raise? <laughs> Is it, uh, or, or could someone's spiritual life cause that much joy in you? Could you be so overjoyed, so overwhelmed with joy because someone's, now here's the thing. If someone's involved in persecution and you think they have fallen away, you're, you're suspicious that the evil one has caused them to drift. And then you find out, no, sense the joy that's coming from the apostle Paul. He is amazed that the word of God was held on to and trusted in. And uh, they were able to, he was able to rejoice with them. What do you celebrate? What spiritual victories are you celebrating today? What progress in people's lives can you identify with and see and trust God for See, the, the whole thing here is joy even when you are suffering. In fact, it's, it's because you are suffering that the joy gets amplified when you focus your attention. So we're, such, uh, we're so programmed when we're going through suffering. You know, it's all about me and it's all about my and I. And here's what Apostle Paul, being persecuted himself and yet focused joyfully on where others are at. Could we take a lesson from that, folks? Could we, likewise, not just be so self-absorbed that we're focusing on where God's... Like uh, all the time, I hear people 
well, I went to this church because I needed to be fed. Or, you know, there's such a me, my, I focus, even on just our worship. What if we, what if even our going to church wasn't about us? I've never heard anyone say, you know, I had to stop going to that church because there was just nobody there to love. You know, I just had to change churches because I had taught everybody there everything about God. Yeah, I've heard that lots, right? Yeah, never, you know. What, what, what if we said, God, use me today. I hope I get, I hope that Pastor Bruce doesn't just drone on and on. I, you know, you go through these things. Too late. Doggone. We're way past that. But, but, but so that's the eye focus. But what if you went with this God today? Would you use the hour that I am in worship, the hour that I'm fellowshipping, the donuts and coffee? Would you use some time today so that I can be a blessing to somebody else? Hmm? Not the me, I focus, but the, that, that's where Paul's at with these guys. That's where the Apostle Paul is with these brothers. He is so rejoicing that his stocks and bonds, his, his imprisonment is not even getting him down. His heart is soaring because they are standing firm. They are, he's like, I can really live now. I get to really live. He says, in the presence of God. You know, Isaiah chapter 6 talks about the presence of God. He says, when I, on the Lord's day, was high and lifted up. I saw the Lord high and lifted up. This description of the presence of God. And then he said, then I looked around me. He says, woe is me, for I am unclean, and I live among a people that's unclean. For my eyes have seen the Lord. It should be the vision we've got of Jesus Christ, the vision we've got of the Lord that drives us forward with joy. He says, in the presence of God, because of you. What did God say? What did Jesus say in, about his church in Ephesians chapter um, 5? He said, uh, I want to present her to myself as a radiant church, a glorious church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish. It was this idea of the bride. Folks, that's what we need to focus our attention on, the bride that God is preparing and leading the way for. You know, if you go to a, to a wedding, it's not hard to identify the bride. No one's going to look like the bride. I mean, no one's going to wear a, a big white dress to compete with the bride, Right? The bride becomes obvious. And I think he's wanting us as believers to no, don't, don't hide any longer. I want you to be my glorious church out in the open that everyone can recognize and say, that's the bride of Christ. That's the unblamed. That's this is without fault or blame or any such imperfection. He says, be accountable in the presence of God. If the world was crashing in around you, what brothers and sisters would you rejoice in? If the world falls apart tomorrow, who is it that you're going to be celebrating their faith, their growth? Third John chapter 1, verse 4, 
He says, I have no greater joy in all the world than to hear that my children are walking in the Lord. This is John who's on an island in exile, having having, um, been burned supposedly to death. He survived. And he says, you know what makes me happy? Even though I'm in jail right now, what makes me happy is hearing that my kids, my children, he meant spiritual children, are walking with the Lord. Oh, folks, we've got to get our attention off the here and the now and focus our attention on the spiritual focus, the the spiritual fruit that's in people's lives. So that's celebrating joy. Well, there's one more aspect, not only standing firm, but I call it perpetual. You got to write that one down. Perpetual, powerful prayer. (laughs) Got those P's going there. Perpetual, powerful prayer. You guys want to say that with me, don't you? You just can't resist it. You guys just can't help yourselves. So let's say it together. Perpetual, powerful prayer. One more time. Perpetual, powerful prayer. Do you notice what he says about the prayer? I mean, if you want to flourish in your spiritual life, you you need to stand firm and focus on truth and power. But how does that come? How do we get that? He says right here, through prayer. Night and day we pray most earnestly. Night and day. What's it remind you of? Pray without ceasing, you know? And that's not to just walk around in some kind of fog so no one can even talk to you because I'm praying right now. No. It's more that punctuate your day. Every day, all the time, night and day. Let there be times of of, of prayer. By day, would be the way to translate it, and by night. A large part of our of our life should be this private prayer life. The word pray there, when it says night and day, we pray. It's this word for ask, beseech, or we would even use the word beg. What are you begging God for, folks? What's on your heart so deeply that you can't get off of it? You're just asking God to provide, to provide. See, God's spirit provides so much for us, but he wants us to pray. He wants us to ask him, pray most earnestly. This most earnestly idea, he says, abundantly, extremely. We are praying most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Far more abundantly, he says, beyond what you can ask or think or even imagine. That's the same kind of phraseology as this abundant, earnest prayer that's here. Now, you'll notice in Paul's prayer, I'll read it here in a moment, he's not just talking in first person to God, God and me, you, Heavenly Father. He's actually bringing the whole group into it. May the Lord. So it's a, a second person and even third person prayer. He says, night and day we pray that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Let's read on. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of God our Father, when the Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. Now, he's going to head into a section where he's going to talk a lot about the second coming of the Lord. That's what Thessalonians is kind of known for and famous for, talking about the second coming. But here he's really zeroing in on this prayer answers. What's this four of them? 
four prayers, four of these perpetual, powerful prayers. A, he wants them to be able to meet together, to meet together. He wanted them to have greater communion. This last week, uh, uh, Daryl and Winona's fired, so I think I talked to him on Thursday. And uh, Winona said, well, we're going to Idaho. Wasn't a planned trip. You know what's in Idaho, right? Jacob. Jacob's in Idaho. He just lost the only home he's ever grown up in and known, you know? And when you're apart and you're going through challenges, what do you want to do? Get together. Get together. Be together face to face. I mean, he was broken up. He was. Uh, Daryl says, I think I'm taking it way better than, than, than Jacob. And he was. So what did they do? They wanted to get together. That, that, that's the heart of the apostle. I want to meet you face to face. Oh, that we would have that kind of passion and desire. He's told you that always... We have a, you have a pleasant memory of us and that you long to see us just as we what? Long to see you. There was this heartfelt desire. So now think about it for a minute. The, the, the Bible says that Satan thwarted the apostles' effort to go to Thessalonica over and over again. He kept thwarting it. Now, could you just imagine the demons in hell and, and Satan Oh, good, we kept Paul from going to Thessalonica and, and building up those Christians, supplying what they needed. And guess what? We've got the book of First and Second Thessalonians because he couldn't go in person. So for 2,000 years, we have been blessed with God's resource because Satan thought he had a victory. <laughs> God's always got it in control. The reason we have the book to be encouraged with is because Satan blocked the way. And we, Paul couldn't see it at the moment, but we can see it at the time. We can see it now. And that's always the way it is, folks. You can always see in hindsight God's footprints. You don't always see them in advance. You don't always see them at the time you're going through them. Trust him, though. Trust him, though. He is worthy of your trust. They wanted, he wanted to meet together with them. Second thing, number B, he wanted to teach them more about Jesus. He says, I want to supply what is lacking in your faith. And by the way, I got to tell you this. Every person has things that are lacking in their faith. We all need each other to build us up with understanding and knowledge, with power and truth, like we just spoke about, that we would not have any other way. He says, Night and day we pray that we might supply what is lacking in your faith. Shore it up. Follow it up. Disciple people. What did uh, Matthew 28 say? Teaching them to observe everything that I have taught you. What did he just taught them? How to lead people to Christ in the gospel and how to disciple them. So it's a perpetual thing. It is ongoing see that they would be loving. Now, this is, we've got to camp on this for a minute. There's no aspect of our Christian walk that isn't more deliberate than, he says, may the Lord make your, what? Love increase. May the Lord make your love increase. What did Jesus say? By this will all men know that you are my disciples. 
that you love one another. Oh, folks, this, this was what he wanted them to proliferate in. He wanted them to multiply in this. In fact, he says, overflow with love for each other and for everyone else. I mean, you got the body of Christ, that's each other. You got this whole different circle, everyone else. You know, for this, it would be the brothers and the sisters. That's how we, that's how the world knows that we're believers is by our love for the body of Christ. But then what did Jesus say? Love your neighbor as yourself. He even said, love your enemy. <laughs> that's everyone else. Okay, so there's two distinct pools of people that he's praying for them to love. Love the body of Christ. Love because that's the sign of God in your midst. But don't forget, love everyone else because what are we about? We're about reaching out. When the Bible says, let them be as a publican or sinner to you, what does that mean? That means reach out to them more. That means trust God to reach their hearts. God is the author of Christian love. God's will is for us to all grow in love. Folks, that's got to be our, our, our banner. Love more, love more, love more. 1 John 5.14 says, we, we have one request that you love one another. Flourishing requires a heart of love, brothers and sisters. Last one, D, their Christ-like character. Their Christ-like character. He says, I want you to be holy and blameless. We pleaded with you, encouraged you, and urged you to live your lives in a way that God would consider worthy. For he called you to share in his kingdom and glory. That's from chapter 2, verse 12. 3.13 says, May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when the Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. So God is calling us to have blameless, holy character when Christ returns. Christ's increasing our love. He'll give us lessons in how to be like him. Apart from love, there is no holiness. So, in a world of change, where there are lots of unknowns, more, more, all the time, instead of fear gripping our hearts, instead of fear of the unknown, there's trust. There's a willingness to stand firm and to pray like crazy. Perpetual, purposeful prayer. Firm faith and perfect powerful prayer. Let's bow in prayer right now. Heavenly Father, thank you for encouraging us with these believers in Thessalonica. Thank you for calling us to stand firm, to not give an inch to the evil one, instead to just watch you at work. Lord, would you give us the kind of trust and confidence in you that allows us, that causes us to stand firm, to pray like crazy, would you help us, Father, be like um, these early Christians in spite of persecution, in spite of opposition, in spite of change and unknown circumstances? Father, would you just help us to trust you like never before? Would you use the body of Christ here and the body of Christ everywhere 
to rise up to new levels of outreach and love? Would you use even this persecution and, and, and challenge that's going on to expand your kingdom and your gospel? Thank you again for loving us the way that you do. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.